I am so glad that you chose to be here on this particular weekend, whether you're a guest or a regular attender. Thank you so much for being here. And also want to acknowledge our, our campuses, our regional campuses, Northridge Brighton and Northridge Grosseal are live streaming right now. So glad that you guys are there. You here in Plymouth, really appreciate it. And Northridge Celine will be meeting later. But, but we're closing out our series, World War Me. And, and I have to tell you, this series has been a, a personally impacting series for me. It, it was a series I didn't want to do. I fought it for a long time and finally knew that this is really something God wanted to do in me and through me. And, and since saying yes, not only has it impacted me, but I've received some meaningful messages about how God has used this to impact many of your lives as well. I, I got this one message that said, out of all the sermons I've been to, this one, it was the talk on passion, this one has definitely impacted me. Wow, I believe this sermon is going to change my life. And the reason that note was so meaningful to me was because that was my prayer for this series. God used this to change our lives, used this to change our ministry, and, and he has. And now as we close this series, whether you've been a part of it or not, and if you haven't, I encourage you, get online. We give our talks away. There are some meaningful, meaningful truths that you can process. But as we close the series this weekend, I believe there's a truth that, that God can use to reshape all of our lives. I believe that it can change us. It's a truth that's central to everything we're needing in our lives if we're going to experience the fulfillment God has for us, the hope that God wants for us but we have to apply the truth. And as I shared at the very beginning of this series, World War Me is fueled by a reality in our lives that many of us don't think about on a daily basis. And that reality is what I like to call the two me's. The two me's. Whether we recognize it or not, every single one of us live in a world of two realities. The visible reality, the the temporary physical world that we live in is the first me. This is where we experience life, feel it in the, in the moment, in our physical world. But there's also the invisible, eternal, spiritual world. That's the second me, the world where God's reality is experienced, the world where we get to experience God's promises and God's truth and the freedom that comes with it. And you need to know that the battle that rages in each and every one of our lives, kind of like the video bumper has shown for the last 11 weeks, the, the battle that we all go through is really determined by which me wins. The ultimate quality of our lives is determined by which me we're focused on. The, and the Psalms are filled with this. In fact, if you're going to understand the Psalms, you have to understand the reality of the two me's. Until I did, I really couldn't come to grips with it. It was like they were crazy people because in one minute they're talking about all the pain and how it seems like God's forsaken them. And the next minute they're finding all of their hope in God and their life's perfect. And I was like, what's going on? And it's the reality of the two me's. They, they understood it. Psalm 23 is a great example of this. Psalm 23, you know, this beautiful psalm that so many people use as a source of comfort in, in difficult times. It, you can't understand it unless you understand the reality of the two me's. 
In verse 4 of Psalm 23, you know, it says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, even though I'm walking in the valley of the shadow of death, and what are they realizing? They're, they're facing reality. I'm facing death here. I'm facing all the things that bring about despair. I'm facing my, my mortality, the end of my being, all the harsh realities of this life. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, my darkest hour, God you're with me. There's the second me. So the first me, I'm walking in a world where darkness is prevailing, where, where I'm facing my end, where there is no hope. But verse 6, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. You mean even in the darkest of valleys, even in the valley of the shadow of death? Yes. God is still with me. His goodness is there. His love is following me. That's the second me. And then he says, he says and, and surely I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And here's what you need to know, even when the first me, the me who lives in this temporary world that always ends with death, even when I'm in the first me world and I'm experiencing life at its very, very worst, the second me, the me that by faith is always seeing the reality of God and his promises, I can experience hope, the reality of the two me's. In Psalm 73, which happens to be one of the most impacting psalms in the entire collection of psalms for me, the writer powerfully describes the entire thing we've been talking about in this series, World War Me. I mean, because he's living in the midst of his own battle raging within between first me and second me, and, and he literally paints for us a picture of the two me's. And I, I can't tell you how desperately I want to communicate this to you in a way that you go, oh, oh, this is what's going on in my life. Because if you can, if you can process it into your heart, if you can process it through your, your ability to, to rationally contemplate it, you're, you're going to have come to grips with, now I get it. And so much of what we don't understand naturally in our spiritual lives can come to clarity for you if you get this truth, a picture of the two me's. We start with the first me. In fact, Psalm 73, he's really starting with first me. He clarifies it in verse one. If you see Psalm 73, verse one, and he says, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. He starts with this assumption that all people who look to God and live for God have. It's like, get it, God's good. I understand his promises are out there. I get all that. That's what we sing about. That's why we're here. We get all that. But then he talks about the reality of his experience. And look what he starts saying. And I'm not going to, the whole psalm is full. I hope that you'll read the whole thing, but I'll, I'll synthesize it so you really get it. Verse two, he starts saying, but as for me, I know God's good and I know his promises. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm supposed to say. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. I was, I was losing a grip. I was falling away from God. Everything was turning upside down for me. I, I couldn't get it together. I was getting ready to deny you, God. For, he says, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He goes, he goes here I am living for you, experiencing the worst of this world and I'm looking at all these people who don't live for you. They arrogantly deny you. They live without you. They despise you, hate you, and everything you stand for. And they're the ones that are prospering and experiencing great things. Have you ever heard the saying, why do bad things happen to good people? And why do good things happen to bad people? That's what he's wrestling with. He's living in a, he, he, look, at this is the reality of our world. Great people 
experienced tragic devastation and really, really messed up people can experience the best of this planet. Come on, open your eyes, don't deny it. This is the first me reality. And he's looking and goes, none of it makes sense to me. If you're so good, God, why does this happen, you know? And he's, he's literally being shaped by his first me world experience. And then in verse 12, and he, the whole first 15 verses are about this. Look what he says in verse 12. This is what the wicked are like. They're always free of care. They have no burdens. Here I am trying to live for God, and I have all the burdens in the world, and they have none. They go on amassing wealth. Here I am. I'm starving for provision while I'm serving you, God. But these people who reject you, they're amassing wealth. Surely, and this is where he got to, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. You know what he's going? He goes, here I am trying to live for you and you do nothing for me and my whole life's falling apart and here these people are denying you and living without you and, and they're getting all the good things. He says, I'm wasting my time serving you. That's what it feels like. And I'm going to tell you, if you're honest, I don't care how spiritual you are. If you're honest, there are times in this first me reality of this physical world we live in when you have to go, why do I even do this spiritual thing? Why am I even in this? I mean, it doesn't work. I've seen Aladdin and even the genie grants three wishes. God's not that good. It's like, you know, and we're looking at it all the wrong way. We're, we're literally being consumed by our first me reality. And I'm telling you, it's going to mess you up just like it did him. But then he processes and he goes, but. And this is where I want you to see the second me reality because what he experienced, what God's communicating through this believer, we need to learn from. Look at the picture of the second me in Psalm 73 starting with verse 16. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. There's a shift that goes on here. He's going, I, I was living totally focused on my first me reality and everything was upside down. Nothing made sense and it made it look like there was no reason to serve you at all, God. I was giving up. My, I was losing my foothold. I was slipping until I entered the sanctuary of God. What he's talking about, until I once again experienced your presence, until I once again regained focus on your reality, until I once again stepped into the second me reality that there's more than what's visible, there's the invisible, there's more than what's seen, there's the unseen, the, there's God in all of this. And look what happened. He says, then when I saw the world through the second me reality, when I saw the world through the lens that eternity was real and this life isn't all I had, then I understood their final destiny. In first me lenses, it looks like all the wrong people are winning. But when you look through the second me lens, you realize winning for a second doesn't matter if it leads to an eternity of loss. And that's exactly what's going on. He's going, look, they can win for a moment. Would you trade places with a person who had everything this world offers who was two seconds from walking off a thousand foot cliff? I want to be that guy. And he's going, when I view the world through a first me reality, it's like 
Living for God is worthless, but when I view the world through the second me reality, through the reality that God is real and eternity is real and I in him can have eternity, then I realize those people don't have anything. Would you rather have a billion dollars for a second or be the child of the king of kings of the universe for eternity? Which is better? And that's what he's saying. I mean, that's where we have to be. And so he... He goes on and he goes, I mean, their final destiny isn't good. And I'm telling you, too many of us are trying to be like those who have no future instead of trying to follow Jesus and have an eternal future of hope. And that's where he was at, first me, second me. He goes on, he says, surely you place them on slippery ground. And I love this about the psalm. He says, I was on slippery ground because I was living in a first me focus instead of a second me focus. He says, but... Those of us who live for you, God, aren't on slippery ground. They're the ones on slippery ground. Because all they have is the first me. You cast them down to ruin. You know, when you, they don't live without you, you can't, you can't fulfill your promises in their life. How suddenly are they destroyed? Completely swept away by terrors. Yet, And then, he, remember, this is so important. Nothing changed in his life. Everything that made him feel like living for God was worthless and, and the wrong people were getting good things and the wrong people were getting the bad things. Nothing changed and yet look at how much he changed. Yet I am always with you. He didn't feel like that a second ago. What changed? He started viewing life through the reality of the second me. God's real. He's here. He's present. His promises are true. And, and then he, he goes... You hold me by my right hand. This is Psalm 23 again, different guy writing the psalm. Psalm 23, he's saying, even in the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me, you're holding my hand. That's second me focus. And he goes, you hold me by my right hand, you guide me with your counsel and afterward. And even, I mean, even after all the darkness and all the valleys, you're right there with me, you're holding my hand, you're present, you're giving me fullness in the midst of a world of emptiness. But when all of that's done, because I have you, then you take me into glory. It's an eternal proposition we have with God. And then he says, he ends with worship, he starts with complaint, where many, can we be honest, many of us, aren't we living lives of complaint? Where are you, God? I've tried to be faithful to you. How come you're not coming through for me? What's going on? You're viewing everything through the first me lens. And, and then so the second me, and nothing has to change in your life for you to become a person of worship except for your perspective, your view. Because look what happens to him. Whom have I in heaven but you? You're, you're awesome. And on earth, there's nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. That's first me. He's going, it's true. In my first me reality, my, I'm going to die. I'm mortal. Things are going to go wrong. My life is going to break apart. No amount of faith is going to change that. My heart may fail. It's going to stop beating. I'm going to die. That's a reality. First me. But look what he says. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's the second me. And here's the principle you need to see. This is so important for all of us if we're going to find hope and fullness in this life. It's important for all of us. Here's the principle of the two me's. The me we're focused on is the me that wins. The me that we're focused on is the me that wins. Which me was he focused on when he was living a life of complaint and whining and slipping and losing his foothold and losing his grip and getting ready to deny everything he stood for? Which me was he focused on? The first me. When he became this person of worship, though nothing had changed in this world, when his whole life turned around, what 
What me was he focused on? He was focused on the second me. God, you're right here with me. You haven't gone anywhere. See, we start thinking God's gone somewhere. God hasn't gone anywhere. We've gone somewhere. We've lost our perspective, and we need to get it back. The me we're focused on is the me that wins. The me we're focused on is the me that controls us. What me is controlling you? The me that we're focused on is the me that determines the choices we make. What choices are you making? The me we're focused on is the me that determines what we worship and who we worship. Who are you worshiping? The me we're focused on is the me that determines what we live for. Can I ask you, what are you living for? Does it matter beyond the moment? Does it count for eternity? Do you see? This is the, I'm telling you, this is the war we fight. Every day I get up and I have this unbelievable dissonance and tension in my life between what I'm experiencing in this present moment and what God's promises are for eternity, between what I want and who God is, and I have to make a choice. Which me am I going to focus on? And that's just the battle that rages within me. It's the battle that rages within you. The me we're focused on is the me that wins. And here's the problem. I want you to see the problem, which is living in the first me reality. And I want you to see the truth, which comes when we live in focus on the second me reality, okay? And this is Psalm 73. The problem is when we lose sight of God in this world, that's first me, everything seems to be upside down. And, and we slip and we fall. And this is exactly where Asaph was when he was starting Psalm 73, right? This is where many of us were when we came in this weekend or wherever you are watching this around the world. It's, this is where you've been living. It's, you started out by going, yeah, I know God's good, you know, and I know his promises are good, and I know all that. It's got to get that out of the way just in case he's real. But none of it's working. If God's so good, why is the world so bad? And if God's so good, how come his promises aren't alive in my life? And if God's so good, how come he's not taking care of those who, who worship him? And this is where many of us live. And it's because we're, we're losing sight of God. We're slipping and we're falling. And everything seems upside down. We think the wrong people are being rewarded and the right people are being punished. And it's exactly what happens when we lose sight of God. Have you lost sight of God? It makes it easy to reject God because we don't see the ROI. What's, what's my return on investment, God? What's my return on investment? You know what our world does? Our world lives for the next quarter's numbers. What's the next quarter going to be? Is the next quarter going to be good? You want to give your whole life to the next three months? What a waste. Do you want to know where the return on your investment is? Eternity. Would you rather have a business that was profitable for the next three months, or would you rather have a business that was profitable forever? There is not even a decision in this, and yet we keep making the wrong one because we've lost sight of God. But the truth, the second me reality, is so different. When our eyes are on God and, and on eternity, it changes our entire, and this is why I named the talk this, perspective. It changes our entire view of this world. We view the world in a transformed way when our eyes are on God in eternity. Do you realize when our eyes are on God in eternity, when we're living through the second me lens, what, what we believe changes, what we value changes, what we desire changes, what we live for changes. Can I ask you, what do you believe? What do you value? What do you desire? What do you live for right now?
When our eyes are on God in eternity, no matter how bad any given moment gets, and let's be honest, some moments of life get horrific. But in a second me view of the world, we can still see the end. We, we can still see God with us. We can still see God as faithful. We can still see that, that eternity is worth living for. It makes the choice to live for God the only choice that makes sense because the return on investment is obvious. And I have to tell you, the seasons of my life that I have done well in are the seasons when I've lived with a second me reality. The seasons that have gone poorly where I've made really bad choices and there have been a lot of these seasons are those seasons when I've lived with the first me reality. What season are you in right now? And, and I work best in pictures, right? So I just, I, I love that God painted us all kinds of pictures in the Bible and I want to give you two. I want to give you a negative example and I want to give you a positive example. The negative example is a first me example. This is what happens no matter who you are, if you live with a first me reality. And I love it that God gave us the, uh, just such poignant examples because he gave us the example of the religious leaders as the negative example. Now, you, wouldn't you, in a first me view of the world, don't you think religious leaders, they should be closest to God, the ones doing right, the ones God's blessing and all that. They're the ones that got it right. But, but no, no. In this particular picture of scripture, the religious leaders, the ones in the early days of the church in the book of Acts, they were... First me people, look at Acts chapter 5, just a couple of verses, 17, 18, and 40. Then the high priest, the leader of all the religious people of Judaism at the time, and all his associates who were members of the party of Sadducees, you know, they were the cabinet of the high priest, were, were filled with, what? Were filled with jealousy. Is that a first me response or a second me response? How can you be jealous if you're viewing life through eternal hope? You can't be. As if God is good and fulfilled, you can't. This is a first, these are the religious leaders, people sitting in churches of the day, people, you know, doing right, teaching the Bible like I'm doing, all this religion, wearing the robes, saying the prayers, doing the gig, giving the money. The religious leaders. And they were filled with jealousy. That's not hope. Why? Because they were viewing the world through the wrong lens. Look what they did. This is crazy. So they were filled with jealousy. So they arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. They called the apostles in and had them flogged, which is a pretty way of saying beaten to a pulp. And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. They were filled with jealousy, so they were attacking the ones they were jealous of. Why were they jealous of the apostles? The apostles didn't have the robes. The apostles didn't have the power. The apostles didn't have the money. The apostles didn't have the synagogue. The apostles had nothing. Why were they filled with jealousy? Because the apostles had the power of God in their lives because they were living second me reality. In fact, they had just healed a guy. And the Pharisees, everybody was wanting to hear the apostles, follow the apostles, do, do that, because they were showing, they were poor, but they were showing the power of God. They were experiencing hope. And the Pharisees were jealous. So when you have a first me view of the world, you don't embrace God. What you do is you get rid of the problem. Right? And they were trying to wipe them out. They were religious leaders. And I believe many of us, man, many of us live in this world where we're jealous, we're trying to get what we want, we go about trying to get it the wrong way, and we do it in the name of Jesus sometimes. And for those of you who aren't Christians, can I apologize on behalf of all of Christianity for the mess we've made of the world sometimes? It's a joke. 
You can call yourself Christian, but if you're living first me, you're not following Christ. But then there's a positive second me example, and it's the apostles that were beaten to a pulp. I don't think life's going well for you if someone's beating you with a leather whip with lead balls on the end that are tearing your skin off your body and they're throwing you in a damp, dark prison for no good reason. Is that your view of prayers being answered? Life wasn't going well for them. Talk about being in the valley of the darkness. But look what they did, Acts 5, 29, 41, 42. Peter and the other apostles replied, because they were being told not to speak in the name of Jesus, we must obey God rather than human beings. Would it have been better in the moment if they had obeyed God or human beings? They wouldn't have gotten beaten if they had obeyed human beings. They wouldn't have been in prison if they had obeyed human beings. But they weren't living for the moment. They were living for the eternal reality of God, second me. And so they, the apostles said, we're not doing what you're saying. They left the Sanhedrin. And this is the part that's really crazy. They left after being beaten to a pulp and thrown in prison and threatened to the edge of their lives. They left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name for Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Messiah. Not because it made life comfortable, because they were living not for today's comfort, but for God and for eternity. Can I ask you, what are you living for? Who would you rather be in this story, the religious leaders or the apostles? Who would you rather be? I know who I'd rather be. The problem is, on a daily basis, I can be more like the religious leaders than the apostles. How about you? The me we focus on is the me that wins. Which me are you focused on? Here's the application, and this is the important part of the talk. This is where we get practical. It's no good for you to understand this truth if you don't work it into your life, right? So let me just help you get practical. If we're going to live in the fullness of God's hope in this upside-down world, we need to keep the right perspective. It's all about perspective. Am I lost in this moment, or... Am I living in light of eternity? Am I feeling like God's turned his back on me? Or am I seeing the reality that God is with me even though the world's so messed up and not with me? Which, which me am I focused on? And how, how can I keep the right perspective? Well, first by, and I hope you'll get this, this is so important. We keep the right perspective by trusting what God says and not what we see. Because what I see is in the first me realm. What God says is the second me reality. What are you trusting? Don't let what you see fool you. Don't let what you see and feel divert you. Don't fall for the sleight of hand of the evil one. He's trying to get you to focus on the wrong things instead of Jesus who is changing lives and giving eternal hope. And I want you to see it right in the, the chapter where we're getting our example from, from the book of Acts. Look at Acts chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. This is the whole moment where the religious leaders were jealous and the, the apostles lived for God even though it was uncomfortable. Acts 4, verses 3 through 4. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Now, if that had happened to you, see, and I'm being very serious, and things go wrong, you, you lose your job, finances go wrong, your relationships are caving in, things, things aren't going right, you know, what you want, your dreams aren't coming true, all that stuff, the, I mean, you're being thrown in jail, so to speak. In that moment, what do you see and feel? You see and feel hurt, 
You see and feel loss. You see and feel disappointment and despair. And it's so easy for you to slip and lose your foothold like the psalmist was saying in Psalm 73, right? Some of you are there right now. I get it. I've been there so often. I get it. But they didn't fall to it. They didn't fall for it because something else was going on. It's true they were in jail. But look what else was going on. Look at verse 4. But many who had heard their message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Yes, they were thrown in prison. It would have been easy to think the wrong people were winning, but it wasn't true. The right people were winning. They were in prison, but their message of Jesus was changing the world. They were living in a moment that seemed hopeless, but God was transforming the world with his message of hope through them. Who was winning? They were because they saw it through the second me reality. Look at Acts chapter 4, verses 19 to 20. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to God? To live first me or second me? You be the judges. As for us, we can't help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And don't get confused by that. They're saying, we can't help but speak about what we've seen God do, what we've heard from God, because it's changed everything. We know the second me reality is true, and we have to share it with the world, even if it means you kill us in this first me world. In fact, Paul said, kill me in this first me world? Okay, then I get to step into the presence of God, and I'm all for it. So you lose either way and I win either way. Is that how you live? See? We have to start trusting what God says instead of what we see and feel because the me we focused on is the me that wins. And then there's another practical thing you need to know. The same is for us. Look at Romans 10 17. Consequently faith, the ability to trust in the God who's there and his promises even when life gets hard. Faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. We need to trust what God says. That's how we grow in faith. If we're going to live in the fullness of God's hope in this upside down world, then we need to, we need to keep the right perspectives by letting Jesus shape us and not the world. I'm trying to get really practical here because how do we live it in you know, Monday through Saturday kind of a function and we have to let Jesus shape us, not the world. And I'm going to be honest with you, most of us with our media exposure, and there's nothing wrong with media exposure, but most of us are letting our media exposure shape our attitudes towards the world, shape our ideas about life. Most of us are letting the experiences of our day-to-day -day life shape our attitudes in this world and our views in this world instead of Jesus. But the apostles didn't do that. Look at Acts 4.13 when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary people just like us. They were astonished and they took note of this one thing. These men had been with Jesus. Can I, can I tell you the truth? When Jesus is shaping you, you can't hide it. It's obvious. And isn't it sad that many of us work in environments where no one can see Jesus in us? Well, we live in communities where no one knows about Jesus in us. We live in families where we're keeping the idea of Jesus secret. <laughs> if Jesus is shaping you, you can't hide it. People are going to notice the difference. Are people noticing the difference? 
I mean, when you walk with Jesus, it changes everything. We need to stay close to Jesus, stay focused on Jesus, and walk with Jesus even as we walk through the worst moments. And if we do, our feet won't slip. We'll stand strong. We won't stop worshiping. We'll worship in even greater ways. They rejoiced for having suffered for his name. If we're going to experience the fullness of God in our lives, really, if we're going to keep the right perspective, we have to do it by faithfully experiencing God's presence. You remember, it wasn't until he walked into the sanctuary. We have to faithfully experience God's presence. And, and let me just give you two ways. There are many, but let me give you two ways you can do it practically. The first is by praying. And I'm not talking about saying your religious prayers that other people have written that you don't believe really and you're pretty sure don't really matter. But if you don't say them, you might not get your three wishes from the magic lamp of God this week. I'm not talking about those kind of prayers. I lay my head down to sleep. I might die tonight, but if I don't, God, that's awesome. And I hope this week I get my three wishes. I mean, that what a stupid way to pray. This is talking about praying in a way where you are having a conversation with a God that truly exists in your life. Look at Acts 4.24. This is what they did when they heard this. That they weren't supposed to treat. They were getting beaten. They were being threatened with their lives. They were going to get thrown in jail some more. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And this is what they did. They acknowledged second me reality. Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. They think they're in charge, but you're in charge. Prayer puts us in God's presence. Are you there? Prayer is the way to be with Jesus. To recognize his control, that he's bigger than this world and this moment, that eternity's real. Pray. And another one, gathering together with God's people, like we're doing right now. I know some of you are watching online around the world. It's so important. I'm glad you are. Keep doing it. But I hope that you'll gather with God's people somewhere because there's something special about it. That's what they did when they got released from being beaten and they got threatened. Acts 4.23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. They went to the gathering. You know why? Look at Matthew 18.20. Jesus said this, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with them. Where two or more are gathered, there am I with them. You know, God shows up in a special way. His presence is in a special way experience when we get together like this? It's important. If we're going to live the fullness of God's hope in this world, then we need to keep the right perspective by evaluating our choice in the light of eternity. Every day, you want to get really practical? Every day you make choices all day long and you need to start viewing every choice in light not of the moment, not of the benefit for the moment, not of the comfort for the moment, but in light of eternity. How will this play in God's presence? How will this play when I'm standing before him? How will this play when I'm an attorney? Would I would make a different choice if I'm looking back from heaven on this? Look at the psalmist, Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart may fail. I'm gonna die, but God's the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's who I wanna live for forever. Is this choice something that will honor him or dishonor him? Acknowledge his presence or disavow his presence? And if I could get really personal just for a minute and really honest about the world, every choice should be evaluated in light of eternity because the most important choices that we make in life often aren't the best choices for the moment, but they are the best choices for eternity. 
in the moment, you might be making a choice that makes life a little bit worse, but for eternity, you know, it's making your life all the much more rich. I, I, let, let me make it marketplace-oriented. Choosing God is always the right choice when it comes to eternal realities, but it's often not the best business decision. Because, you know, in the marketplace, a lot of people make more money by sacrificing their integrity than by keeping it, right? If I'm a politician and I want power, the best way to get it is to get you to elect me, and the best way to get you to elect me is by lying. And that's not Republican or Democrat. That's human, and it sucks. But it's true. Religion can't guarantee you eternal life and hope, and many of us choose religion hoping that it'll get us the three wishes from God, but it doesn't. Being the best person in your family doesn't get you anywhere because we're all messed up no matter how little or much. But putting your faith in Jesus, making the choice for Jesus is a choice that works for eternity. Look at 1 John 5.13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know you have, etern you can know you have eternal life. You can know it. Do you? This is a choice you need to make. And before we celebrate communion, which we're going to do this weekend, I really want to encourage you, make sure you know Jesus. If you're already a follower of Jesus, would you make sure that you're not living first me like Asaph was in Psalm 73, but you're living second me like he ended up in Psalm 73? And if you've not yet received Jesus, would you do it now? Just before I finish this talk and we move into communion and worship, would you bow with me in a word of prayer? And as we pray... If you're ready to step into a relationship with Jesus, just take my words and make them yours. Don't say it out loud in your heart to God. Just say, Jesus, I, I'm right now believing in you. That you died on the cross to take away my sin, that you rose again to give me new life. And so I'm confessing my sin and my guilt and my need. And I'm putting my faith and belief in you to save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just prayed with me just before we move into communion celebration and worship, and if you see a couple of people getting up, they're going to be serving our communion elements, but if, if you just prayed with me, would you please let me know? In the programs we've given you, this is true for those of you at Northridge Brighton and Northridge Grosseal and Northridge Saline, and this is certainly true for you in Plymouth. Just take out the program we gave you and there are these connection cards and just rip it out and fill it out. There's a place where you can check the box that says you prayed to receive Jesus. If you did, we want to give you a Bible and some next step ideas for following God and all you have to do is fill this out, put it in the boxes as you leave our auditoriums and then we'll send those things to you, okay? And if you're watching online, hit the what next button. We'll do the same for you. But here's how I want to conclude as we go into communion. If we want to win World War Me. If we really want to win this battle that rages in us, our goal should be simple. Keep the right perspective. Keep the right perspective. Second me, not first me. Those with God always win. Those without God always lose in the end. 
And we need to always remember that. The me we focus on is the me that wins. We need to remember it. And you know what communion is for? The whole purpose of communion. It's not some religious act that makes you holy. It's not like, you know, I stand over each of these cups of juice and bread and go, oh, dear Jesus, bless him. And you go, you know, you start breathing again. The purpose of taking the bread which represents his body and the juice that represents his blood is to remember, oh yeah, God loved me so much he died for me. He doesn't desert me when things are down. He's there for me always. He re, he's there for me. And, and by the way, I'm not separate from God. I'm a child of God because he died for me in my place to remember his love, to remember his promises. You know what it's about? It's about focusing on the second me reality. And so this weekend, as we celebrate communion, I'm just begging you, if you would, remember, he's real. More real than this world you experience, and serving him is of greater value than anything you could have in this world. Remember. Now, about communion, we're going to pass out the elements, and Everyone's certainly welcome, but can I tell you, if you've never received Jesus by faith, then communion's not for you. This is to say, when I eat the bread and drink the cup, I'm saying by faith, I've already partaken all there is of Jesus. There's no reason for someone who hasn't believed to do this. I encourage you, let it pass you by. We won't judge you. If you're not a part of Northridge, that's okay. The Bible never said you had to be a part of Northridge Church in order to participate in communion. I'm not sure why God didn't say that, but he didn't. You know what's important? Not your relationship with Northridge, but your relationship with Jesus. If you're in Jesus, communion's for you. You're welcome. And I'm going to ask you to take these packets and just hold on to them. We're going to worship, and then I'm going to come up, and we'll celebrate it together, okay? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this bread and this juice, not because there's anything special in it, but because it helps us to remember you. And may remembering you change us and fill us with hope, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Take your place. 
Because Jesus is real, the whole world can look differently. When we view the world through the second me reality, it changes everything. And so we eat this bread in remembrance of his reality, in remembrance of him. And we drink this juice in remembrance of the reality that he shed his blood for us because he loves us. He's here, he's real, his promises are true and we can know him for eternity. It's worth living for him in the now. We drink this in remembrance of him. Let's worship.
sacrifice can now repay.